Hello and welcome to Longevity Now, the place for all your news and views of life extension from around the world. Life extension advocates have watched a lot of new businesses enter the field over the last decade or so. Some have succeeded, some have failed, some have evolved. Icor Life Sciences is one that Longevity has sponsored for several years now as an affiliate lab, in addition to helping some grad students gain some experience in the field working at Icor. Of course, Icor Life Sciences was once Icor Therapeutics. Today, we will talk to the founder, Kelsey Moody, about how the company evolved from a small vivarium in a house to become one of the most impactful CROs in the nation and about the latest research partnerships that might help spur greater rejuvenation efforts in the near future. Hello, and welcome to the podcast, Kelsey. Hey, Justin. Great to be back. Well, let's start with that evolution. Uh, some people who follow your company uh, know that uh, the name change uh, happened recently. Uh, and in the beginning, uh, name with a name such as Icor Therapeutics, one might have gotten the idea that you were going to be a pharmaceutical company or produce rejuvenation therapies, <laughs> things like that. Um, but it kind of evolved through the last few years to have your hands in many different types of uh, research. Uh, and could you just give us a little bit about how you ended up uh, changing to ICOR Life Sciences and how that reflects what you're currently doing? Yeah, well, I, I think the name change is really a reflection of the maturation of the organization. ICOR remains focused on all of the, you know, initial uh, anti-aging drug development initiatives that, you know, has really defined us as a company since our inception. But uh, we have significantly expanded both our internal capabilities and capacities, uh, as well as uh, our service offerings by way of our contract research activities. Um, and that's really allowed the company to have a lot more expertise in a lot more areas that are relevant for translating drugs. And that's also allowed us um, to build a strong client base that makes us less dependent on investor capital um, and gives us a lot of flexibility to go after new and aggressive programs. And as far as investor capital goes, I know we've talked in the past, uh, given some advice to uh, people who wanted to get into this field about how to start a business or how to get involved. And uh, you had to rely on a lot of investor capital in the beginning, but is there a steady private stream now coming in to Icor? Yeah, so Icor has really made a transition from being dependent on investor capital to becoming the investors ourselves. So Icor is now a profitable company, and we're able to take our cash flow and reinvest in new capabilities, new capacities, and also new anti-aging initiatives. Just in the last month, we did a $1.5 million placement into Mitochem, uh, which is a company that's developing small molecules for mitochondrial dysfunction, a hallmark of aging. And we also led a uh, seed round into Lend Tobio, uh, which is developing advanced glycation and product breakers for presbyopia, another hallmark of aging. Um, and this is a model that, you know, we think we, we can continue to leverage our, you know, knowledge and internal capabilities. Yeah, Mitochem, now they are specifically, I mean, you mentioned the age-breaking um, therapeutics for presbyopia with Lentobio, but then with the Mitochem investment, that is focused on, of course, mitochondrial health, but in your press release, it mentioned ocular aging disease research. So is Mitochem specifically focusing on mitochondrial health in the eye? 
Initially, yes. So kind of the the idea for how we're currently approaching aging, a lot of different indications you can go after with aging and a lot of pros and cons with looking at different indications. What we like about the eye specifically is all of your hallmarks of aging are present in the eye and the eye has a lot of advantages for drug development. You don't have first pass effect with the liver. Molecules tend to hang around longer. You don't have to worry about, you know, again, like half-life issues with the kidney and stuff quite as much. And if you're doing anything with gene therapy or biologics, which tend to be a lot more difficult and expensive to manufacture as compared to say small molecule, those, uh, the, the amount of uh, API or, or drug product that you need to treat an eye disease is less than if you're going systemic. So because you can treat the eye directly. You don't have to go. Well, yeah, and it's just smaller, if, right? If I'm if I'm trying to go, you know, IV for for a drug that's hitting the entire body, the amount of material that I need is significantly more than if I'm treating a small confined space like the eye. So the way that we've kind of approached this is each of the hallmarks of aging. We're interested in developing programs that target each of the hallmarks. And each of these companies initially will focus on eye disease, but they have downstream systemic applications of the drug. So the first indication would be focused on the eye. And then once we prove the mechanism of action out and that the, the molecules work, then we can move into more systemic applications. And this doesn't just apply to Mitochem and Lentobio. This also applies to Lysoclear, our flagship enzyme therapy. And even if you look at other areas or other companies that are focused on hallmarks of aging, there's a reason that the first analytic companies are focused on eye disease. There's a reason the first stem cell replacement companies are focused on eye disease. Um, so this is kind of a trend that I think applies to all aging hallmarks. Okay, you mentioned Lysoclear. Of course, that was your original effort to address eye diseases. And is it just an outgrowth, uh, the investments in Lentobio and Mitochem to be uh, take a more comprehensive approach to curing eye diseases? Our, our, our approach is basically to model aging in the eye. And there are different hallmarks of aging. So uh, there are different eye-focused companies in our portfolio. Um, again, the, the focus isn't necessarily just to do eye disease for the sake of eye disease. Uh, we have a lot of, you know, ophthalmology expertise. You know, our new vivarium director previously was head of Vora Preclinical, uh, which is a very well-established ophthalmology-focused CRO. So, you know, internally, we do have best-in-class equipment and a very talented team doing eye disease research, but that is a means to de-risk systemic applications of the drugs that we're developing. Um, it's not intended to be uh, a narrowly focused, you know, therapeutic space for us. Okay. And I want to give everyone an update on, or if you could provide us an update on the RP tag technology that we uh, recently helped with a grad student that was uh, modeling some of that effort. And if you have been using that as a platform to, you know, build forth other rejuvenation therapies, has, has that been advancing at ICOR? Uh, yes, it has. Uh, we've made significant progress on that. For those that might not be familiar with the platform, we, we call them ribobodies. It's recombinant protein that's, that's derived from a thermophile, so it's hyperstable. Um, and we've been able to uh, engineer some very nice properties of this. You know, we've made it orally bioavailable, even though it's a protein, um, it's super stable. We've autoclaved it, so it's, it's and still had it function, which is kind of ridiculous for a protein. And so we've been engineering this to bind clinically relevant 
relevant targets with an effort to replace antibody therapies. We've done a ton of work over the last year and a half on the scaffold itself to improve its half-life, to improve uh, its oral bioavailability. And then we've been engineering the scaffold to bind about 12 major clinical targets that are current targets of clinical antibodies. Our downstream goal, the, the kind of low-hanging fruit, is to just be a typical antibody mimetic and try to compete with antibodies in the marketplace for targets that they're already effective against. But the real promise of the technology from an aging perspective is to be able to deploy these ribobodies in places that antibodies can't function, like the GI tract, for example. So there's a lot of different diseases that if we could only get active antibodies functioning in the GI tract, you know, we could modulate the microbiome, we could modulate, you know, cells and luminal cells inside of the inside the GI tract. And that's just an area that antibodies and other biologics can't function right now. So those will be kind of higher risk, more innovative downstream applications with technology. Yeah. And with the Ribobodies platform, then uh, you must have drawn interest from other companies. Uh, are you exploring any partnerships with that? I mean, that you can mention? Uh, Nothing I can mention at the moment. Things that I'm hoping to be able to mention in the uh, relatively near future. So one of the misconceptions about ICOR is that we pivoted away from aging to become just a CRO. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not at all the case of what we did. What the CRO has allowed us to do, you know, we're, we're very not expensive to operate because we're in central New York. But the problem is I'm not in Boston or Silicon Valley, surrounded by investors and other pharmaceutical companies that we can do deals and partnerships with. And what the CROs really allowed us to do is, you know, we have something on the order of like 75 or 100 clients that are super well-funded, super serious pharmaceutical companies of various sizes. And when we're running three or four programs for each of these clients, we build relationships with very serious people that want to move drugs into the clinic. And what's been great is those relationships have allowed us to create partnerships or start building partnerships around our own internal assets that we're developing, like Octus, like Lysoclear and so mm-hmm. forth. But I, I can say we do have some deals that are in the works and uh, I'm hoping to be able to comment on those publicly in the near future. In the near future. Yeah. Tell us about your expansion recently. I don't know if we mentioned it earlier in the podcast, but i has developed an enormous wet lab. Uh, yeah. Now. So I, yeah, I mean, we basically, I think tripled our footprint in the last 18, 24 months, um, acquired a couple other smaller CROs. Our most recent expansion was about a year and a half ago. Um, we're occupying uh, about 20,000 square feet or so in uh, Potsdam, New York, through a partnership with Clarkson University, which is a private engineering school. Clarkson's been a great partner for us and really given us a lot of space to expand. It's It's also allowed us to expand our PhD program where we're minting students uh, that are being trained to start startup companies uh, specifically focused on geroscience and translational medicine. Well, that is great. And that brings me back to the um, thought earlier about how we have talked in the past with people who are interested in the field. And you've given great advice about how they can get started and and perhaps start a company or go down the PhD track or things like that. And what would you say has been, again, the secret to your success as far as becoming a world-class CRO, but also maintaining focus 
on generating new students and new researchers, but also the wet lab and focusing on uh, geroscience and rejuvenation uh, research. Uh, it seems like so much to handle, but you've been so successful. What were the keys to this whole evolution? I think it really boils down to team and perspective. Uh, we have an excellent team across all of our different business units. And when we approach science, when we approach these drug discovery initiatives, we're paying attention to all the details from, you know, the protein through the animal model. What I find in a lot of smaller startup companies is they have one particular area that they're super deep in, but they might not necessarily have the depth to be paying attention to, you know, the biophysics and how their drug is interacting with the target and, and really being able to characterize that. Or we see a lot of uh, in the aging space specifically, um, you know, people will do like a phenotypic screen, they'll find some interesting tool molecules and think that those are drugs. They're not taking those tool molecules and using them to develop the drugs. And it's just been very interesting as i has matured and evolved. We understand how to build new drugs. We do that for our clients. We do that for our own internal programs. And the experience of how to do that effectively is something that I don't see in most of the geroscience sector. People are very good in cell biology and animal models, but when it comes to actually building drugs that can be moved into humans, it's a different skill set than kind of the pathway discovery work that a lot of academics are doing. And just as a review now, uh, you mentioned a couple of different things, a couple of your partnerships and a couple of your research efforts, and we mentioned the uh, Ribobody uh, platform. Uh, anything that you can mention right now that people can look forward to moving into like phase three trials, anything ongoing or something that might be coming up soon? For our own internal programs, everything's still preclinical. We're hoping to change that in the in the near future. In our capacity as a CRO, we've certainly been involved in several programs that have moved into clinical testing. Unfortunately, those are client projects, so I can't speak to those specifically. But we are very excited about some of the upcoming initiatives in 2023. We're super interested in doing placements in other companies in the aging sector that can leverage our skills, capabilities, and expertise. And I'm really you know, excited about having a breakout year for us, you know, coming into 2023 as a, you know, profitable and formidable company in the space. Well, we'll be looking forward to that. One last thing here, uh, running a large company like i and being involved in so many different uh, aspects of rejuvenation research and so many partnerships obviously can be rather stressful. But uh, for listeners, I'll tell you, Kelsey looks really good yet, even though he's has the stressful job of running i -Core. What, if anything, can you uh, give viewers or listeners, I should say, uh, what can you tell them about anything you do to stay healthy and young looking? How do you, how do you keep up the work and still uh, remain so healthy? I was uh, very fortunate. Uh, a lot of people don't know. I had uh, two very major surgeries in the last mm. three years, uh, spinal tumor removed and two discs mm. put in my neck from uh, injuries, sports-related injuries. So on the back end of those surgeries, uh, I've been able to you know, keep exercising and stuff a lot more, even though I'm in my 30s now and just took up intermittent fasting. And that seems to be uh, very transformative. So if people are looking for something to try and haven't jumped on that bandwagon yet, I'd, uh, I'd suggest giving that a go. Yeah. And believe it or not, that's what I do as well. And that's why you I, look so good, Justin. <laughs> I can say from personal experience, yeah, it, it might seem difficult, but the nice thing I find is being able to eat one big meal 
over the course of, or, or a couple of meals over the course of three or four hours and then fasting in between, it still gives you an opportunity to eat a good amount of food of some delicious food, even though you have to fast in between. But uh, for, from my experience, it has worked out pretty good. So interesting to hear that from you, Kelsey. And thank you so much for joining us on the Longevity Now podcast. My pleasure. Talking to Kelsey once again after a couple of years makes me reflect back on the long journey it's been, not only for myself trying to advocate for life extension and rejuvenation, but for all of the other people who have been involved for decades. And boy, it has sure taken a long time. But it's good to hear that there are more clinical trials, not only things that ICOR is involved with, but many other pharmaceutical companies and other companies that we are familiar with in the longevity space. Clinical trials that should be coming up with some results fairly soon, so keep a positive attitude. Until next time, I'm Justin Lowe.